Hello listeners, and welcome to Gotta Jabrew, the podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things, fish and beer. Fish and beer. I am the Lizza. And I'm the kid. Let's I'm, go. Yeah, I'm super excited <laughs> about this episode. We got a lot of cool fish questions for the fish segment. Yeah. We got our cocktail battle. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, it makes me happy that we're like giving people some fun knowledge. Yeah. It, it was more, it was like, you know, we got to create something exclusively, you know, fish related. I feel like we, we could be helping people for the future who get married, who want to have a signature fish cocktail. And we could be helping them figure out what they want to do. Yeah. I feel like you didn't really like what was going on once you found out what the nature behind that question was. Like you didn't like that they were just taking a Jack and Coke and naming it something and like slapping a fish lyric on it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, dumb. Yeah. That yeah, requires like zero thought and like zero effort. And like I'm a, sh- I like to cook and I consider myself a home cook slash chef. And I like to like make something that tastes really good and have like subtle cute jabs like for why it's fish related. Not just say I'm gonna make a Jack and Coke and I'm going to call this something fish related because now it's part of my fish wedding reception right i mean i think it's just you know not everybody is is like you and you know cooks and does everything so you know for the average person you're also you're also super into making cocktails i'm also super into making cocktails so it was more just like taking it on and making it a fun challenge like making it something bigger than it was yeah so what's your process like how do you go about making your cocktail okay so Fish cocktail battle. My cocktail is called Rye Rye Rocco Marco Escondoles. I would never put that on a menu. It doesn't even fit. <laughs> but I got it. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Rye Rye and Woody. Marco. No, Rye. Rocco. I don't know. Whatever Trey says. But he does say like Rye Rye. You can hear him say Rye Rye. Marco. Right. Marco Escondoles. So yeah. I played off the Rye Rye thing. I'm super into Rye. So, uh, you're talking about rye whiskey, rye whiskey. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Um, you can easily make this cocktail with rum as well. Um, so what I did for the cocktail I made today was, uh, two ounces of rye, rye whiskey. It was the Van Brunt whiskey, uh, one ounce of unsweetened almond milk, half ounce of lime juice or the equivalent of the juice of one lime, two tablespoons orange marmalade, and one ounce of ginger syrup. And you put that, all that in a shaker, you shake it over ice, you double strain it into a glass. I actually added a couple of aromatic drop bitters and then a little lime, a little squeeze of lime. Zest of lime, yeah. And you're, when you say uh, ginger, ginger you mean simpler, simple Gin- syrup infused, infused with, with ginger. ginger. Yeah, Got chunks it. of ginger, correct. Cool. So you can make it as strong or as not strong as you want. Cool. Um, but ginger is obviously for tray. Oh, uh, and I, I left out my funniest part. Uh, so to garnish this, you put skewered candy ginger with a little sprig of mint and a blue lipstick print on the glass. Nerd. That's a nod. That's a nod to Mike wearing lipstick. So you serve Nerd. it in a glass with blue lipstick, candy ginger, little mint. Oh my god. Okay. That's so. Great. So I'm you so tried smart. to summate everybody into one thing. I, I did not okay, no, try no, so to. I just want to say, I want to give credit where credit is due. This is from uh, a bartender called Jason Sara. He is the bartender or general manager at Heartwood Provisions and Navy Strength from Seattle. And I got this recipe or I riffed this recipe from a book called The One Bottle Cocktail by Maggie Hoffman, which I think is a fantastic book and you should go purchase or read recipes from. 
Yeah, it's a good book. I like it because it breaks it down by your spirit and it just, it makes, you know, as long as you have the spirit that you want, you turn to that section of the book and they have all the cocktails with that as a base. It's Correct. A, it's a good. I heard uh, this on another book. podcast. I think it was Bon Appetit podcast, this book. It's, it's, yeah, everyone who has spirits at home doesn't have like a fully stocked bar. Right. right? right. So like, you're like, oh, I want to make a cocktail. And then you go and like, you read any cocktail and it's like this fucking three liquors and a ton of bitters and just a bunch of stuff that you don't have and the whole point of the book is by the end of it you end up making like an 80 dollar cocktail at home and the point of this book is that you just turn to the page of whatever bottle you have whatever spirit you have if you have vodka it'll give you seven recipes to make a beer uh, a cocktail with just vodka Got it. And it's and it uses utilizes things like from your home kitchen. So like the recipe I had for the rye rye Rocco Marco Escondones was two tablespoons of orange marmalade. And not only is that a sweetener, but it also gives the flavor of orange. And it helps kind of emulsify the cocktail with the almond milk and you get this like creamy it almost tastes like an orangey spicy sherbet. It's yeah. really good. Um curious, would you would an edit to your cocktail allow for me to use an actual dairy instead of almond milk? Like sure, yeah. I would. I, I think I would like the viscosity of your cocktail more if it was half and half. Actually, creamy. Uh, I think you could do that, but you might. Cream. You might. You gotta be careful because uh, acid from citrus will curdle uh, the milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you gotta be careful. You well, might. The you might have strain. to change the ratio. The ratios. You might have to change the ratios. Well, theoretically, if you're shaking it and pouring it quickly, you don't have to worry about because it. Because that's what milk punches. It's curdled yeah. milk with the acid from. Well, you're using the curdles to filter, but that's a different story. But we can. But you could try it, sure, man. That's the whole point. This cocktail just has rye, and that's I'm making a pun on rye, rye, Rocco Escondones. Escondones, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's a good cocktail. Try the one that I riffed out there, uh, or look at this book. Go Amazon this book. It's great. All right. So, what's your cocktail? Party time. Party time. Uh, whenever I am designing a cocktail, I always stick to the spirits that I love, um, which is basically whiskey. Um, so my cocktail is obviously the base spirit is bullet. And it, for, for me, I did a double batch. So I, I doubled everything and do whatever. But I, I guess to say the right way to do it would be to use an ounce of bullet and you're going to use a tablespoon of uh, what is it? lemon syrup and then you're going to top it off and shake it with two ounces of a garden the goal is to make a slightly peppery lemony it's almost like a riff on lemonade you're basically using the other ingredients to mask the bourbon and to make you forget that it's there tastes like a long island iced tea to me Um, right so you're using the who garden as sort of like the seltzer not so why don't, seltzer, why don't why why do you shake it with the Who Garden? Why don't you just top it? It just agitates it more because if, if you just pour it over ice, it's not gonna it's not gonna you know the carbonation's not gonna explode. I want it to get agitated, and I want to work the air into it so that the carbonation really picks up and and helps to dilute a the sugar from the syrup, the lemon syrup. Yeah, and it yeah. helps to obviously mix in with. I the, feel like what you're describing is like a, if an Arnold Palmer, an Arnie Palmy, and a gin and tonic had a baby. Yeah. And I honestly, like, the, this is insane the way I just made it. I used, uh, I doubled it. So it's basically a triple shot of bourbon. It's a shot. It's an ounce and a half, actually. So it should be an ounce and a half of uh, bullet bourbon and then a two ounce pour of Hogarden. And honestly, uh, as I made it, 
I want to be completely 100% transparent. It was incredibly boozy up front. But now that I've been drinking it and adding more Hogarden to it over time, it's been getting to that like sweet spot. So I think it was a little heavy-handed when I first made it. Um, just trying to make a big enough cocktail to last the whole uh, fish segment. But yeah, the idea for this for me was what do I want to drink when I'm at Curveball? So how can I drink hard liquor in a brutally hot environment right, so you want yeah so like i guess i don't know try isn't it. like Just try it. so like a michelada is like the same thing it's like liquor with modello yeah, with yeah, like yeah. lime yeah, yeah so you wanted like the effervescence from like the who garden yeah that's pretty good actually yeah yeah that does taste like just a lemonade or like a g and t spiked with Jane, like bourbon it's dangerous there's three shots in there man <laughs> you're gonna get fucked up <laughs> so essentially what you're talking about doing is blending bourbon with lemon you did lemon syrup so it was a concentrated lemon Correct. syrup that was also uh, sweet though so you have the spiciness from the bourbon and the, the sweetness sweet. from the syrup and you're just kind of adding that lemon to it yeah. and then you're floating all that with the who garden instead of like seltzer to give it more alcohol more flavor well not only it's more the the yeast um imparting that coriander taste i want that peppery i want to cut that you know lemon too sure and as we all know from last episode ho garden for some reason also finishes like bananas to me <sighs> um that is actually i want to come out and say that that's uh starting to to fade away. So good job on you for the last episode because I am starting to notice the difference. So what I wanted specifically from this hoe garden was the coriander. I wanted that peppery, like um, spicy um, this from things it. that you're supposed to get from the yeast Correct. in a Belgian. <laughs> right, save, it, save it for the beer part of the podcast. <laughs> cool. So let's hop to some questions because I really like the ones that you picked for this week. Yeah, I think I did a good job. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. Last week was eh felt and to me this week feels really good okay okay we got our fish cocktails uh we're gonna post the recipes for these cocktails on we're gonna put it in, in, the, in the description the yeah so d so you guys will be able to make these um cool what question shall we start with you tell me <laughs> i love them all i love the. i honestly when we do this i don't really go in a specific direction i just pick where the conversation goes so, so. let's do the what are some good fish related cat names okay so this is i actually, hate my cat's name and i want to rename him so maybe if we come up with a good enough one today i'll rename him so this is really funny on addicted to fish the facebook group that i'm a part of um every other it's like every three days it feels like someone goes oh got a new dog Oh, got two dogs. Oh, oh got a cat. Like, and they're like, what are your fish inspired names? I want to name them something from fish. And it's the, the comments just roll me over laughing. Cause some of the shit that people pick is either like super stupid. And I was like, why would you ever name an animal that? Or some of them are just like super incredibly witty. Like you have McGrupp comes up a lot of for a course. dog's name. Yeah. McGrupp. Um, yep. People are like super like one dimensional, and they're like, "Oh, just name him, name him Wilson," and you know, shit like that. And then that's a good one too, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so I, what I think cat related names would you? So the way I approach this question is, what can I, I call my cat Fluffhead? That's no his. Way. That's his nickname because my cat is Fluffy, so I call him Fluffhead. I've never heard you call your cat Fluffhead, but that's fine. But I do. And, uh, yeah, He's Fluffy, do so I call him Fluffhead. <laughs> Fluffhead's a better name than calling him Fluffy. Yeah. He's Fluffy. Fluff. Um, I would name a dog Forbin. 
You just okay. cut the kernel part. Sure, sure. Corbin, um, that's a cool name. That's yeah. a cool name. It's like the way I want to think about this is if I take my dog to the dog park, I want to be able to shout out a name that another dog is not going to come over to me as well. It's a unique <laughs> yeah, name. yeah. You need it to be unique. <laughs> right, 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 right. So Forbin is like where my mind goes. I, don't, I hate cats. So I would name a cat something shitty. So, yeah. Um, You're thinking of like an enemy in this tale. Yeah, I would go to like something bad, like not even Wilson, that chick, Tila. Tila. Because she's a traitor. She's a butt ass, yeah. She's a traitor. And cats are butt asses, so. Butt ass. That's probably where I would go. Even if it's a boy, I would name him Tila. You stupid little bitch. <laughs> Ruining the fucking revolution, you bastard. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> Did you read but, him stories of Game Henge at night? <laughs> I bet you would. But I don't know. I, I th- And this is the other reason I picked this question. I don't know that I would pick something so topical as like a fish reference to name my pet. Um, it would have to be something great. And a lot of the times I read through these comment sections and I'm just like, these are all stupid. Um, but I, I don't know if my like standards are just super high. And I'm like, oh, I need something really cool that's not just like fucking Wilson. Yeah. Or uh, I don't know. Uh Someone put famous mockingbird. Like, are you gonna call your dog? Every- hey, famous no, or cat? Hey, famous mocking. Cat? Famous mockingbird, come over here. Like, no one's gonna do. That. I think people have a lot more elaborate names for cats because you don't necessarily like have to call your cat over. Like, dogs are like outside and like like you're saying like when you right. take them to like a dog park or something like you have to like actually call your dog's name out. So it has to be something like short <laughs> that a dog will hear. Dogs don't hear full names. They just hear like, wah, 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 like syllables. So yeah, you'd probably yeah. want to keep it pretty simple. I think of the, but for uh, a cat, yeah. you can have like Mr. Sprinkle Tinkle Bottom Feather. You know, like you can, you're never going to call your cat. So it can be something silly. Yeah. I, and it, I think you're absolutely right. You get more leeway with a cat. Cats don't really respond to their names anyway. So again, I, I just, this question's always funny. I'm trying, I'm actually scrolling through a, uh, Addicted to fish right now, looking for to try uh, to get some. Yeah, because once I start reading them off, you're gonna be like, "Oh man, <laughs> I understand." Oh. Um, but yeah, oh. let's go to another question. We'll come back to it once I find it. What do you feel? I like the "Who would you cast if making a movie about fish?" Yeah, at Mike Rem, Rem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So who do you think? Really I guess one. you can just pick who you think looks like the band, or you can pick like actors that you think would embody their personality. Yeah, it's so the hardest person I have casting is Trey. I think he should play himself. Get the fuck out of here! He can't act. You don't think you're gonna so? let you're gonna pick a, an actor for every single person except? All oh, right, Trey, you actually have to play yourself. Get out of here. Who? Uh, I, Trey. Just do you want to know like who I would play? Mike electric. Gordon. Who? It's my favorite. Who? Sasha Baron Cohen. Ew, no way. <laughs> this big nose, just like Mike, and he would get the he would grow out his hair weird, like Mike pre haircut lipstick shit, where he had like the mop top <laughs> or whatever, and the baggy ass fucking khaki pants. I pick, who would I pick? <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. Think about this. You're gonna see Sasha Baron Cohen next time as Borat, and you're gonna be like, oh shit, Mike Gordon. Hey, Mike, what's going on? <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen looks like a cross between Mike Gordon and Frank Zappa to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also could be Freddie Mercury to me. I don't know. I think I'd want um, Sam Rockwell to pay, play Paige. Really? Yeah. 
You know who I want to play Paige? Who? But it, I would have to I would have to go back in time because he's Woody looking Harrelson? too old this at these days. No, who's the guy from um Mr. Holland's Opus? Oh god. What's I his can't name? I believe you're saying this. Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. I would never put Richard Dreyfus in anything I've ever done. Sorry. Okay. Nope. Not cool. <laughs> you don't like Richard Dreyfus? Nope. Why not? Ugh, is it basically because of that movie that I like, Mr. Holland's? Yeah, movies? it's just I can't stand his. I can't stand him. He's old. <laughs> I think uh, I don't know. There's a lot, I think there are a lot of fish fans in Hollywood. Do you think people would jump at the chance to play them for a documentary? No. <laughs> like yeah. Adam Scott instead. Your poor man's Mike Gordon. Comedians, like, <laughs> yeah, comedians. <laughs> yeah, what? no way. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. So <laughs> the ginger, obviously Trey is the hardest one that I have to pick. I can't figure it out. Um, but yeah, the only other person that's hard to cast for me is Fishman. I honestly, the more I thought about it, I was just like, God, I really want it to be Kevin Smith. But Kevin Smith is like thin now. He's getting thinner, so he's not quite there yet. He's not quite Fishman ready for me. But yeah. he would be the guy I pick for Fishman. I'd pick Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell to play Fishman. Bruce Campbell, can you tell me something he's in? Because I'm having a hard time putting uh, a face to it. Ash and the Evil Army. What is it? Ash. Oh, Ash vs. Evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's based on Army of Darkness. That's it. Wait, Ash vs. Evil. He's the main character. He's with also the saw, a character arm? in Hercules, the the thief. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> tall, man. You know, he's like six something, right? You can Bruce never, Campbell? Yeah, you can never shoot him next to the other members of the band because Fishman's the shortest. But Fishman's always sitting behind drums. True. But I'm just saying it'd be a re- really interesting way to shoot that movie because he would always have to be Here's like, Here's an interesting <laughs> thing. You're going directly for like who looks like them. I'm trying to pick like acting caliber of somebody who I think would like embody these people's personalities and do it really well and act really well. Yeah, but like you can I think, change people's physical appearance. I just picked two really fucking awesome actors. What are you talking about? I have the dude from Mr. Holland's Opus who won a fucking Oscar, and I have Mr. the other Mr. Holland's fucking... old penis. <laughs> Is that what you hear every time I say that? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Come on. Linda from Bob's Burgers. And then I picked fucking Sasha Baron Cohen. Get the fuck out of here! I'm not picking good actors. Has Sasha Baron Cohen been in anything serious? Not recent. He's kind of been like chilling, hanging out. But what's the last movie he was in? I don't know. They're all ri- they're all the the spin-off characters of Ali G, right? Borat is Borat a spin-off is a, character I mean, of Ali G. I guess the yeah. guy who interviews all the models, Bruno, they're all spin-off characters of Ali G. Well, that's Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. yeah they're all his I know. characters. I, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that dictator movie, right? That was yep. supposed to be funny. Yeah. I've never seen it. Dictator. He's funny. I'm not saying he's not funny. I'm just saying that. I just got it's a strange you. choice I'm not picking for good Mike. People. I, I, strange choice for he's Mike. Kind of weird looking. He can pull off that kind of weird but funny. Like Mike Gordon's kind of weird but funny. Like you look at him and sometimes when we were one of those shows at fucking Baker's Dozen, he was wearing neon green lipstick with neon green pants and like a blue silver polka dot shirt and had his hair spiked up like he was a fucking rooster. He looked funny. <laughs> like and Sasha yeah, Baron yeah. Cohen could pull that outfit off. Like, yeah. come on. Okay. <laughs> I'm fighting on this one. I think that leads us into our next question perfectly. Which performance of a song at Baker's Dozen is now your favorite? At uh, Johnny Kofin favorite performance um the one that sticks out to me the most just snaps to the top of my head yeah and i think it's because it's it's a set and if not night saving song is fluffhead and that night of fluffhead i that if you look at that set list let me just look it up real quick because it was it was so bad (laughs) 
Um, and, you know, people were arguing, like, you're saying fish, no fish show is bad. And I'm like, yes, I agree. But when you look at um, Baker's Dozen as a whole, I think that night that Fluffhead was played. like, And, and that, that's why it's so momentous to me because I remember being uh, in that moment for the night and just being like, ah, oh, man, uh, this show has kind of been like, meh. And then, and then so all it was of a, a sudden, show saver for you. Yeah. And not only was it a show saver, like it when they've played Fluffhead recently that I've seen it, it's been a little sloppy. So every time it comes on, I get really excited. But I'm like, wait, kid, it's going to get weird. And like in a way that you cannot notice, like when we talk about me teaching you music shit and not being able to hear it, like yeah. when I hear the mistakes and it's Trey, who's all by himself, like arpeggiating through a melodic phrase that is like in the forefront of what you're supposed to be listening to and he botches it i just can't get into the song so the fluffhead starts playing and i'm like yeah well wait it could be great and then by like midway through the song i was like this is the best fucking fluffhead i've had in so fucking oh my god yeah <laughs> and i'm pretty sure the song right after it i was just like fuck <laughs> so that was, a, that was a show saver for you but you like fluffhead so i think this question is more like did did Baker's Dozen for you transform any song from being like there being a song you didn't like to a song when you heard it Baker's Dozen you were like ah eh, actually this is fucking pretty Pebbles like, and I'm, Marbles like, into this yeah I think that for you was your Pebbles and Marbles was my light bulb moment and I was like this song's fucking fantastic I went and listened to Round Room like yeah, habitually it, it, after it un- that it unlocked like, it for you yeah. yeah it unlocked it for you um so this is the Fluffhead night it's August fourth twenty seventeen. See that my grave is kept clean as the opener. Punch you in the eye. Party time. Big black furry creatures from Mars. Dinner and a movie. Ocelot. Poor heart. Winter queen. Bold is love and first tube. Second set is Dem Bones. Um, No man in no man's land. Everything is right. Um, What's the use? Scent and subtle sounds. Prince Caspian and Fluffhead. So now that I say that set list out out loud, and the encore was Frankenstein. Um, Now that I say that set list out loud, I feel bad for saying it was a a lump, like a bad night. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on in first set that people talk about that I hate. Uh, Big Black Furry Creatures from Mars and Dinner in a Movie are two songs notoriously talked about by Fish fans for being so great, and I fucking hate them both. (laughs) Nothing against the two songs, just one is... First of all, they're both really rare. Dinner in a movie's only been played like 11 times since 2010. I've never seen that. If they played at Baker's Dozen, that's the only time I've ever seen that. Yes. So, I mean, again, it's it's super fucking uh, rare. Um, it's really repetitive, man. Let's go out Both of those songs are very repetitive. And they were both right after each other. So, again, I, I don't look at songs individually. Like, if I was listening to them to my car, they would be okay or whatever. I like this to... Cons- is- so go ahead. No. Okay. This is this what you just read. See, is like a perfect example to me of like what being there means like and then what reading that set list means. Like there's a lot of songs in what you just read that are rare. They don't play them often. And and somebody yeah. I could see somebody who's been a longtime fish fan being like, "Holy shit, we're doing a ton of bus outs." But for you and I at the show it was like boring and kind of shitty and like the energy was all over the place and like they weren't really again it, for me it all just comes down to like the order of shows they the order of songs they play and like kind of the mood they're setting and that was a weird mood i mean let's get to the point the point here is that set set 2 is a fucking drag 
um, in my opinion. Uh, I want to say that up front. I remember being really disappointed with this show until I heard Fluffhead. And when I heard Fluffhead, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, set two, you have acapella, <laughs> then Bones. Then you have No Man in No Man's Land, which I fucking I hate like, that song. I like, that, like that song. song. I, know. I like that you. song. Um, every- they jam out on that song, man. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not Everything's Right. It's Everything in Its Right Place, which is also a weird song to me. Into What's the Use? Into Sense and Subtle Sounds? Into Prince Caspian? That's the biggest lull of a second set I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like, come on. The only set I've ever seen that's as bad as that is fucking uh, SPAC. When was SPAC? It was like 2014 we went to SPAC the first time? No. It was like a bad weekend. 16. 2016, 16. Yeah, it was just like, that's the last time I've seen such a lull in a set where I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing here? And then out of Prince Caspian with that like, dr- like draw, like, like float out, like ending, they just immediately go into Fluffhead. And I was just like, fuck yeah. I remember looking to you because it's your favorite song and you've only gotten it, what, what, twice? That was the first time I got it. Yeah, so it was just like, holy shit. <laughs> I remember that was a lot of it for me and like putting the energy into like making you excited, making you jump up and down, be like, oh shit, you're getting it finally. Oh my God. It's like my first DM. It took me 50 shows to get a DM. And when I finally got it, I shat my pants. Yeah. Um, it's funny that that's your answer because that's my answer. Fluffhead's been my longtime favorite song and I've never gotten it. And that was the first time I got it. And not only did you get it, in a good spot to save the fucking entire night for me but their execution of it was insane the song is nuts it's like so i was like damn trey went home and practiced yeah i remember turning to you and saying like holy shit that song was dope actually after we went to that show you told me i should never go back and listen to that show because i was gonna hate it and it would never sound as good in my mind as it would in that show again because but i've gone back since and it's been great we've came off we came off a show high so we came off a show high of, he- of hearing, and I was just like, you know, you're going to go back to want to listen to that whole show, show, thinking that it was a great show. And in actuality, the only saving grace in it is Fluffhead. That's what I said. <laughs> okay. You don't think that's true? You don't think sometimes one song kind of changes the entire mood of a set, and all of a sudden you're just like, that show was great. And then you go back and you look at it, and you're like, eh. No? I don't like post. I don't like post. I I try not to like post mortem my shows. I do, but like I always do it in a positive way. Where I'm like, oh, I can't believe you got that song. I'm like, oh, it's cool you got that song. Like, unless it's a real dud downer, I don't talk about how shitty it was. Yeah. God, this song is again the saving grace of this whole thing. So, but the question is, which performance of a song at Baker's Dozen is now your favorite? Uh, see, that's just a saving grace. I, I feel like this favorite. question is basically constructed to make people say Lawn Boy. Why? Because Lawn Boy for Jam Night was the best version of that song that's ever been played. You think so? Or you yes. read that in a bunch of no. people's comments. How could that not be? That's like the longest Lawn Boy, and they jammed out on it. So, like, everyone wants. I mean, I would have to go back and listen to it. I do remember some songs from Jam Night feeling forced and a lot of people criticized it as we were walking out of Madison Square Garden being like oh man there were a couple ones where they just dragged it on I was like yeah but the fact that they went with the whole jam night themed donut and like like went with it even when they were like forcing themselves to extend shit I think cool moments came out of that so of that night if we had to talk about the favorite song 
of the set for me, it would be Cross-Eyed Famous. That Cross-Eyed Famous is like 36 minutes long. And the jams in the middle were really um, impactful to me because they really went through the dynamics. Like, they really, like, mellowed it out in the middle. And, like, there were moments in other Fish songs where I was just like, I don't really know what they're in anymore because they've just been playing for so long and I don't really know where they're at. Isn't that a good song, though? Um, See, I would argue no. I think Cross-Eyed and Painless, the entire 30 minutes it happened, I knew I was in Cross-Eyed and Painless, and I was like, shit, this is fucking awesome. But I also really love that song, and it's my favorite cover that they do, so I don't know if I'm just being biased, but... um, You're being biased. You're you're totally missing the whole point of this fucking question. Yeah. It it means, like, going in, what song did you not really think you liked, but then coming out, you were like, oh, fuck, I actually did a really good job, and I want to fucking listen to this song all the time now. Okay. It's in that crowd, man. It's, like, insane. Um... Yeah, I don't know. That cross-eyed man. I fuck you. I think that cross-eyed man is good. Yeah, but you like that song. That's one of your favorite songs. Yeah, again, I did not deny that I was biased. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find it. I think it was 725? 2017? The problem with looking up Baker's Dozen uh, show runs is that, like, I need to really get a list of all the donuts just so it's easier to find. Here it is. So, all right. Jam Night was Sample in a Jar, Lawn Boy, the one that you're talking about. 29 minutes and 58 seconds. My Friend, My Friend, which was 11 minutes. Stash, which was 11 minutes. Bats Up Gin is 13 minutes. Fuego is 19 minutes. Thread is the... Actually, no, it's not. Uh, Thread is 7 minutes and 8 seconds. Cross-Eyed and Painless is 33 minutes. Maki Supa Policeman is 411. End of uh, Session is 340. That's the shortest song in the entire night. Other than a reprise of Lawn Boy in the encore. Um, Tuesday, which was 6.59, so almost seven minutes in Cavern, which is 4.45, which is actually a really short Cavern for a jam night. That's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. I just remember walking out of that night and people shitting on them for, like, forcing jams and shit and being really upset. It's like, how the fuck are you going to complain, like, amongst Fish fans that the jams felt too forced. When was the last time you heard a 3.0 like entire set that was devoted towards jamming? I can't Never. remember. I can't remember. It's really crazy to like look back on some of these sets that we saw for Baker's Dozen because they just seem like fucking way too good to be true. Yeah. Because you're used to these 3.0, like, let's jam all the new shit into a set. They have to get through like Fuego. They have to get through like fucking all this shit. So it's like... I don't know. You have to to accept the fact that you're not gonna get these rocking crazy like four song sets just because they have too much material to play. And some people don't mind that. Some people like want to hear the new shit and like that they're evolving into this you know this new sound that is 3.0 and don't mind that. And I'm one of those people that kind of wishes that I was listening to Fish 96 through, you know, 99, where they were doing a lot of these uh, second song, five song sets and shit. I prefer them. I think it's cooler. I think the way they figure out how to play into songs and, and you know, seamlessly transition from one to the other, most importantly, tease shit. 
Like, I've been trying to figure out how to work that into one of our music lessons, and it's almost, like, an impossible task. Yeah. Like, I, I can show you what a sample is, like, how DJs sample music. They do it all the time, you know? Um, but, like, trying to find isolated moments where fish sample themselves, it's like, I can go to it, it when they did the playbills, and when they sampled, like, a bit of The Simpsons, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
an episode in the future, like what's the most nostalgic fish song you've ever heard? I don't want to try to like you know iron that out right now, but it's an interesting thing to think about. What are nostalgic songs that when you think about them, they bring you back to that moment? It's like when you smell something and immediately you have that memory recall. And obviously, your olfactory sense is a large cue for memory. So what's that fish song that the moment you hear it, you immediately are like catapulted into a specific moment? You can remember how you felt. If you're doing drugs, you remember how high you were. You remember like the ambiance. You remember the glow stick war. You, I mean, what are like what brings you back to that moment? I think a lot of people have a lot of those. Yeah, but I mean, if you go to as many shows, you know, I've been over a hundred shows. Like I've had a shit ton of those moments and only a few of them are like those diamonds where I go, wow, that really like, I listen to that song that go back to that exact show and listen to that exact song and I know exactly where I was. Yeah. Like I'll throw one out there. One that a a run that comes to mind is Baderfield um, in Atlantic City. That's a show that I immediately think about and I'm like, oh man, I remember exactly where I was, exactly what was going on. Um, Sounds great. Well, for another show. Yeah, for another show. Maybe next show. All right, I'm going to take us out on this long boy that you uh, speak so highly of. We'll be back in 15 minutes. Yeah, we'll be back after this short 15-minute break. Guys.
Welcome back to Gadget Brew. I'm Eliza. And I'm the kid. Beer time. Beer time. And boy, do we have a lineup for you. <laughs> I've never seen so many beers put in front of me in an episode of Gadget Brew in my life. Okay. It's true. Have we had four different beers at one time? I don't think we've had four. I think the most we've ever had is three. No, we've had four. I don't know. I've had four. I definitely don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not, a problem. Not surprising. <laughs> cool. All right. So, so today we're going to be talking about Greenport Harbor Brewing Company. So we're taking a break from Cicerone training. Yeah, it's getting, we got to give it a little break. Yeah, it's, I'm cool with that. You don't have to do it all the time. Um, I'm learning a lot, but you know, I need some time to process and soak it all in. I still think uh, Hogarden still tastes slightly like bananas. Now that we can get into it, we were talking about it a little bit in fish. So here's what I will say to you, teacher, sensei. Um, I do notice the difference now between Hogarden and a Weiss beer and a German, you know, a beer that's supposed to taste like bananas. I do notice the difference now. And the more that I was drinking them, so after we did the last episode, which is now two weeks ago, I have been drinking a Hogarden and then I've actually been, you know, I was sipping on the rest of the six pack that we had of the, uh, what was it? What was the German beer we had? The Franz Escana. Yeah, the Franz. Yeah. Franz Escana. Um, I, uh, I'm, it, it's, again, like we were talking about, once you see behind the curtain, you can't unsee it. The yes. Hogarten's starting to taste more peppery to me and less banana-y. Nice. But Very it's, cool. it's a learning curve thing. I don't think I'm quite there yet. I think I still get hints of banana, but it's definitely going away. So kudos to you. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> the education is working. So I thought that was really cool and interesting nice. to me. That's um, awesome, dude. So tell me about Greenport Harbor, because when you told me about it, when you're like, hey, I'm going to Greenport Harbor for the weekend, um, I'll bring back some beer samples and stuff. I was like, oh, cool. Have fun in Maine. It's in Long Island. <laughs> it's on the North Fork in New York. How how far out on Long Island is that? Uh, it's towards the end. It's like two and a half hour drive out there. So it's out by Montauk and by like uh, it's, the it's, Hamptons. It's as far as Montauk, but it's on the North Fork. Montauk and the Hamptons are on the South Fork. Okay. So it's n- more north. It's it, When the fork juts out, one goes north and one goes south. And the North Fork is where Greenport Harbor is. Got it. So you were way the fuck out there. Yeah, two and a half hours. You're out by the water. It was great. Uh, Greenport Harbor is uh, all family-owned brewery. I think they have 15 total employees. Oh shit! And small. they have yeah. yeah, they're super small. They make everything locally. They produce every ounce of beer that is made and shipped in Greenport. So they do not contract brew anywhere. Wait a second. So wait, you're you're not saying they source ingredients from Greenport? Like they get all their barley from Greenport? They get all their no, I'm not saying they source ingredients locally. I'm saying they produce every single ounce of liquid you see in this market at their brewery in Long Island. Got it. As opposed to other breweries who say that they're based in New York, but you know have facilities in Texas or North Carolina or for production facilities somewhere else. They produce every single ounce of beer 
in Greenport Harbor. Now let's be let's be clear. Some breweries do do that. Some breweries, when they're yes. starting out, don't have the the means or capacity to do that. So no. one of my one of my favorite stories that I think of is Bronx. When Bronx was first getting started, and they didn't have their physical location in the Bronx, they were contract brewing out in Connecticut, and then they were bringing their beer in. But now that they have a brick and mortar spot, now they produce all their beer in the Bronx. Yeah, but that's rare. It's usually flopped. Like when you're starting up, you usually produce in your facility. And then once you get really big, you have to start contract brewing or working out of a larger facility and then shipping the beer back to where your actual original home birthplace was. So that sounds more like Yonkers Brewery, which is also a New York brewery where they they have a spot, a brew pub, if you would, I guess is what you would call it, but they don't actually produce there. They correct, like do correct, their experiments correct, correct. there. Six Point then, also produces at texas got it so again it's important for i mean it's it's in this day and age in this beer culture it's getting to be very important because with allegiances now like lagunitas kind of being part owned by heineken and you know ab having their claws and all these quote-unquote like micro craft breweries who that really aren't craft because they're owned by ab it's becoming a point of pride when a brewery can advertise and communicate to consumers that it is 100%, you know, it's a legit small business owned by human beings and they produce their beer at their, at their facility. Right. So it just means that they have a lot more control over the product that they're sending out to you, which is kind of the point of drinking locally or hyper locally. Yeah. I can't think of that many like macro size people who are even, you know, not macro, but uh, micro larger size people who are like that, like Victory and Allagash are the only two that come to Cra- mind. Yeah, craft, craft, yeah. Um, so they have two breweries actually uh, Greenport has two breweries one is in an old fire station which is awesome uh, it's super small it's kind of like their tasting room and now where they do all their experimental stuff so it's actually a place I really recommend visiting if you're out in Greenport Harbor it's on Carpenter Street um, it's where they have all their small pilot batch stuff available to taste. And then you can go to Peconic at their larger facility, which actually used to be a car dealership. So they have a lot more space, uh, 30 barrel fermenters and they have 90 barrel fermenters, but a 30 barrel system. And that's where they produce their like other side IPA, which is a flagship, their Porter, their summer, uh, which is a seasonal. They produce all their sort of core quote unquote brands at the the newer facility. So I have a question for you. I'm I'm holding their summer ale in my hand right now. It's yeah. this beautiful um uh aquamarine blue can. On the can is a picture uh with a star on it saying we make hundred percent of our beer here always and it, I'm assuming Which this is the picture of Long is what Island. We were just talking about. Yeah. Yes. Does Long Island always look like a whale or are they doing that on purpose? They're 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 they're, being they're cute. embellishing it. Okay. Because cool. there's a north and south fork and a tail is like that. I was gonna say if Long Island does look like an, a whale like this for this long, then I'm missing something. <laughs> I don't we live actually here. <laughs> so I actually got the privilege of being out in Greenport Harbor two weekends ago and that's where we have all these awesome samples. We have some of their core stuff, so we have the other side IPA and their summer and Behave. then we have Yeah, and then we have some of their rarer stuff from the the new tasting room or old tasting room firehouse we have far out there it's a new england style ipa and then uh, a collaboration they did with kcbc called citrus blue persuasion and it's one of my favorite summer beers that i love that i've been drinking constantly uh blueberry limeade inspired berliner so it's blueberry lime berliner it's really light very refreshing 
Um, so something I want to talk about, because I'm about to crack this summer ale open, and it's a topic that I think is really interesting that uh, you and I have slightly differing uh, ideology on. Um, you and I went to a restaurant the other day to get a really awesome burger, and I ordered a beer, and it was a daisy cutter, and the guy went to pour it in a glass for me without asking me, and I had asked, uh, I had preferred that it stayed in the can. So one of the things that we do when we do the Cicerone training and you, you're teaching me stuff is that we pour it out and we talk about SRM, the way it looks. Um, it's also a really easy way to see carbonation. Am I weird that I like my beer when it's in a can to stay in a can? No. I like you can, prefer that. Yeah, you can drink it out of a can. You can drink that Greenport Harbor somewhere else out of a can. It's put in a can, and when brewers put stuff in a can, uh, it's designed to be drank out of a can. I don't understand. I mean, the only reason I would get pouring it out, um, we were talking, um, I don't know if this was uh, on an episode or if we were just talking amongst ourselves, but uh, there was a master Cicerone whose video went viral. Uh, he did a video for Munchies, I think is the group on Facebook and he is one of four master Cicerones in the world and he's talking about the importance of pouring a beer correctly and when you pour it out of a can or off the tap it has to um, actually agitate so the carbonation gets released and it, it, it some people who are more traditionalist would argue against him and be like well you know you're not supposed you're supposed to pour at a 45 degree angle limit um, limit like the amount of foam that you create and he's like the opposite he's like you should deal with the foam you should do whatever you should release the carbonation it should be whatever that's the only reason i could understand pouring out of a can so something was super tart or super um you know highly carbonated if you want to worry about your consumer in terms of heartburn and like their ability to have endurance in drinking uh product over time i would understand pouring it out does that make sense no I don't understand where you're going with this. So one cans of the, one of the are reasons... the wave of the future. They are easy to store, and they are the best vessel to keep beer to its longest date, born on date, fin you know, out of stock by date. It's they're the best vessel for keeping the liquid inside as the brewer no light intended. Struck. Correct, yeah, as yeah, yeah, the yeah. brewer intended. I'm 100 percent with you on this. So here's the the only part that I'm trying to add to this is that I'm talking about pouring beer out. And why, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you order a can that, of beer, they bring you a That video on glass. YouTube is bullshit. You think? I, you hate, think to br I hate to fucking ruin right, cool. your life yeah, yeah. and fucking watch bring YouTube. Bring it. But yeah, why is it bullshit? bullshit? Why is it bullshit? It's just dumb and it doesn't matter. Well, it's so like, here, who gives a shit about how you... The Cicerone certified way to pour a beer is 45 degrees, don't touch the glass, done and done. That's it. Right. So what he was talking about is when people pour at a bar, they touch, they kiss the 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 nozzle of the fucking tap to the glass and they let it run down and he's saying because there's no space because the beer is actually not striking a surface the carbonation doesn't open up so when you actually if you were to drink a beer out of a can and chug it what's happening is as the beer is traveling down your esophagus and striking your stomach acid in your stomach the carbonation is then opening up at that point so it creates a lot of gas so if you're consuming a lot of beer if you were to go to a beer festival and drink straight out of a can all the time the ideology is that over time you would get greater heartburn than the person who poured it out into a glass and let it agitate to release the carbonation and that much less of it would impact your stomach 
That was his point. That's right. The only... But why are you associating it with just a can? It's a can or a bottle. It doesn't matter. The packaging doesn't matter. No. What is no, your association process, to a can here? Because pro- that doesn't no, make any the sense. The process matters. How you serve the product to a consumer. So now if I'm drinking it and I'm the consumer, based on what this guy is saying and thinking, it would be more advantageous if I was going to drink a lot of beer to pour it out into a vessel so that the carbonation is agitated and that has less impact on my stomach in terms of digestion and processing great cool yeah go watch the video if you want people to watch this video tell people where i watch this video i have no idea why the fuck we're talking about this video and it's dumb and i don't care okay i want to be talking about greenport harbor and their beers all right go ahead i just thought it was interesting it's not it's stupid and okay. it doesn't matter it has nothing to do with beer in a can okay continue greenport harbor It's like so much to talk about with this brewery and we're talking about some fucking cholo on YouTube who fucking knows how to pour beer into a glass. I thought it was interesting and it's topical based on where we just were and this dude poured a beer out of a can and I'm about to drink this beer out of a can and I don't... Where did a dude pour a beer out of a can? What are you talking about? Don't worry about it. Cream Port Harbor. Tell me all about it. I already did. Other than the firehouse and the tasting room. I already did. What what, what are they doing beer-wise that you like? That's my question for you. So anyway, Greenport Harbor produces every single ounce of liquid. Yeah, we did that already. In their facility. Fast forward. Yeah, don't care. What What about Greenport Harbor do you like? You went there. You tasted a bunch of their beers. You got to see their facility. Yeah. Like, what? what's cool about them? Like, what's, what's popping? Like, what should I know about? If I was going to try a Greenport Harbor beer, like, right now, like, what's super interesting? Where should I go to first? Uh, unfortunately, the general market can't get much of their specialty stuff. You can get okay. a summer ale, their seasonal ale, in a can. Okay. It's so fascinating of a topic for you and tidbit of you. It comes in a can. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in the supermarkets, and then you have to go out to their firehouse brewery, ex-firehouse on Carpenter Street in Greenford Harbor, and try all their one-offs, which are great. So I now am a tourist visiting the city, and I'm in a bar, and I see Greenport Harbor is being offered in the bar. You should drink it, because it's probably the most local, actual local beer you can get. Expand on that actual local. Like if I'm drinking other half, as in bars a lot around here, six points a ton of bars around here. Actual, you mean like those kegs of of six point are probably not made here, and it's not as fresh. Like what are you what are, what are you trying to say? We already talked about this. How's that summer ale taste? Terrible. You don't like it? No. What's the style? It tastes like it. It's got that pilsnery finish to me. Where What's the style? It's, What's it's the style of beer it is? It's a summer ale. Yeah, what does that mean? Other than the fact that it was produced now, what does that mean? What style of beer is that? Summer ale isn't a style. Uh, It's an ale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the cooler things actually about Greenport Harbor is their artwork. Uh, one of the owner's wives is like super into art. I think she's an art dealer. And she found this dude who like lives in Greenport Harbor and basically like surfs half his life and then like draws half his life. And he's the one that does all of the artwork for their package. Uh, and then in the uh, ex firehouse uh, brewery, the old brewery in on Carpenter, they do like um, art exhibits and stuff. So they have different artists with their stuff on display where you can buy and it's really cool. Cool. Just like super cute and trendy. But the artwork is really cool if you actually notice it. there's it's, It reminds me of those like I Spy or like Where's Waldo type things. Um, because there's weird little stuff hidden in every single label. Like I'm looking at the other side IPA label. 
And if you look at it just the way it is, it's a fish. Uh, and then it looks like a cute little weird mechanical fish. But then if you turn it upside down, it's actually a submarine <laughs> and there's a fishing ship and clouds in the sky. So it's a total like, you know, when you cross your eyes, what do you see type thing? So this summer ale behave is a ocean with a airplane flying over it with uh, it towing. Uh, sign as they do at the beach and it says yeah. behave on it see so, isn't that doesn't that make you like they, nostalgic yeah yeah because it's on yeah. the beach and then the plane is actually not a plane but it's a bee and its wings are the wings of the plane and then its feet uh the six feet connect to like the, the gondolas yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. A, it's like a seaplane yeah man the artwork is super cool it's just cute there's a lot of like hidden stuff in it so again, the artist, the artwork is by a local artist in Greenport Harbor. So you're saying like, if again, if I'm someone, a tourist visiting New York City, the reason why I should I should immediately drink green, um, uh, Greenport, Greenport Harbor, Harbor is because it's, there's a potential for other breweries who are claiming that they're local to not be, and this is a 100% surefire way to know that I'm drinking something that's made and distributed locally. Locally, yeah, yeah, and that's important. Because people start slapping local on things these days and uh, they're not actually produced within a certain mile radius. That's so why for like high-end restaurants, it's like farm to table. It has to be within like a 50 mile radius of like your restaurant. It's technically local. Do you remember when, um, uh, God damn it, uh, people were saying that like, yeah, you, you you had to consume uh, craft beer. Like it was so important to uh, consume craft beer. It like became a huge thing in the market. And then all of a sudden it was like this big upheaval of people starting to figure out who used sugars in their beer. And like, you couldn't say that a beer was actually like 100% natural or like brewed or whatever. And like, if they started finding out that there was sugar in it, you had to like take that, um, that nomenclature off your label. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? This was like a while ago. This was like no. in 2008. But like I, 2000, like nine. Like places were saying like, oh yeah, we use like 100% like organic shit. And like it's all like perfect or like whatever. And it's like, no, you actually used like corn in your beer. You can't say that anymore. Like, oh, you can't. Like the whole food, the whole foods rules. Like you can't sell your shit here because we found out they're, you know. You can't that sell doesn't pertain to beer though. What are you talking about in terms of beer? It's just one of those things that, like, the general consumer wouldn't think that it's important, but when you actually start doing a little bit of research and looking into it, you're like, wow, this is actually super impactful and is important. In what um, regard? I would rather support a brewery that is using 100% like what they say that they're using than tricking me into thinking that it's something that it's not. So Budweiser's commercials are the things that come to mind. Yo, we use all, like, natural everything, and we're, you know, the beer of America, and we, you know try to do everything blah, blah, blah. and it's like no you don't assholes you guys make a corn adjunct lager that's totally like not what you're claiming it to be false advertising is essentially what i'm talking about a lot of breweries these days i think are are flying under the radar of saying things that aren't actually true and i think that doesn't matter for me as a consumer but most people wouldn't give a shit i don't care it's beer I don't think any brewery does what you just said. No one advertises something that's in their liquid that they don't put in their liquid. 
And I, again, don't know where this conversation is going. It's not that they don't advertise things that's not in the liquid that they don't. They try to make it seem like it's something that it's not. Like Coors Light, when you see a commercial on fucking TV right now, they're like, The only thing Coors Light tells you in in a commercial is that they brew cold, store cold, ship cold. And it's the world's most refreshing beer because refreshing in their mind and their marketing campaign equals cold. There's no facts in that commercial at all about beer. That's my point. Congratulations. Welcome to the conversation. They're saying a bunch of shit. That they're Nothing claiming is not that is true. important. It's, everything they're saying is true. It's factual, it's but false. it doesn't matter. It's factual, but it doesn't matter. Brewing beer. How to fuck? It matters to all, somebody I, who thinks refreshing equals cold. Yeah, but that's, that's the consumer base they're catching. Yeah, but you're you're tricking someone into some shit because if anybody actually knew anything about brewing, a you can't brew something cold. It has to be hot. You're brewing something. B none of that actually translates or matters to the actual end result of the product. And C you're abusing that one little thing to sell it that's my entire point like fermenting beer and shipping beer cold both contribute to the actual product it's important you're being an asshole right now about what i'm talking about and like you again simple point Coors light is again attributing refreshing whatever to cold correct specifically and to some people they're gonna go oh well because it's cold it matters and Sorry to pull the fucking... They're tricking you into thinking that. Correct. You just made my point. They're tricking you into thinking something that it's not. There's a bunch of Budweiser campaigns out there right now talking about how, you know, they brew a specific way or it's like trying to pretend to be craft and it's not. It's a macro fucking brewery that makes beer all over the world in a bunch of different facilities all across the world. But they're trying to market themselves as a a specific thing. So to bring it all back to Greenport Harbor, one of the things that you were saying about them originally was that you should drink here because what they're saying is what they're giving you. And what I'm saying is, is that that's important to people like us who do that research and understand the product. But to most people, they're fooled by this bullshit that Coors Light puts out there and Budweiser puts out there and these other people are doing and saying like, oh, well, this is why you should care about us more than anybody else. That was my point. (laughs) Yeah, but you're like, so much of what you're saying out of your mouth is not true. And you're just using it to prove a point that's yours. Budweiser does not advertise itself as craft. In no way, shape, or form does Budweiser advertise itself as craft. Their whole marketing campaign is king of beers. That's their marketing campaign. Coors does have a marketing campaign that is brewed fresh, stored fresh, delivered fresh, kept cold. And that's their whole thing. And it's a lager, and they're right. A lager is supposed to be cold fermented, cold stored, cold shipped, and cold given to you. Like That's a, a, a high selling point feature for it. I think you're confusing that with actual production and like locality like Greenport Harbor is not promising you anything they're just promising you that they've brewed the beer that you're drinking from your bottle or your can to your face hole wherever you have it that that liquid was produced in Greenport Harbor I'm going to find the Budweiser commercials that we have I will play the audio on our next episode and I will continue to expand on this point that I'm making that you're saying is bullshit because I think you're kind of being also kind of bullshit about it (laughs) I'm disagreeing with something that you're saying. And, and agree I'm saying that you're bringing facts to the table that you haven't researched. And you're I, just kind of speaking out of your ass. And none of it has to do with Greenport Harbor, which is a really great brewery. And we should be talking about them. Yeah. So and tell- their doggy dock dive that's happening next weekend. 
Greenport Harbor is awesome. They're sponsoring a doggy dock dive competition. I really don't know like the status of it. It's probably like super filled up and no one can go, but it's a really cool thing that they do. It's their second annual North Fork dock diving competition. They have doggies jump up and like jump off diving board and get like treats and then flop into the water and it's great. Dope. I'm going to feed some dogs some beer. Yeah, and people hang out and they camp. That's fun. Cool. Cool. I'm sorry, I'm researching Budweiser commercials right now. (laughs) Budweiser has never marketed itself as a craft beer. That's not what I said. No, that is what you said. You said Budweiser's out there, they're marketing themselves as a craft beer, just like they have facilities all over the world. It's like, yeah, they do. They're not a craft brewery. I'm not saying... They're like a mega conglomerate company. I'm saying that they use specific parts of their commercial campaign to say things like fresh, brewed right. Like, it is fresh. Like, do you know? Do you know what fucking people who sell Budweiser have to do? They have to I go into every single place that codes. sells Budweiser and rotates the dates. It is fresh. Budweiser is always fresh, right? But they're trying to pick up on people that actually care about craft by using the same type of terminology to capture that audience. I'm not saying that they're lying to people. I'm saying that they're very strategic about the terminology and the way that they market themselves to pull people from the craft market to drink macro beer. That is what I'm saying. And what we're talking about with Greenport Harbor is that what they're saying also is not only just as true as what Budweiser's saying, but more important to the consumer because it's local and made fresh. And yes, Budweiser's made fresh too, right over here in fucking Newark. But it's the same shit all the time, the same way fucking brewed on massive scale. Like, there's no artisanship to it. Like, you could get a fucking glass that's blown by a mach- or made by a machine, or you can get a hand glass that's blown by someone who made it is one more important to you than the other yes or no yes which one do you prefer the hand blown and why is that but i don't go into a fucking lowe's and expect to get a hand blown glass i go into a lowe's and expect to get a fucking mass-produced glass and that's where our job comes in we have to be the stewards of letting the beer consumers know that these breweries exist like Greenport Harbor and those are the ones that they should be producing or um, supporting. Right. We think it's important that, you know, the actual craft of brewing something is important. It, that's because it is. It's all the work that goes into making something great. Right. So we'd rather have but I'm some... Not, but you're saying there's like a, a, a giant... You're saying there's like a Goliath and you're saying... Like, you're saying Budweiser is bad because they're big. And I don't agree. I'm saying that Budweiser is probably the one of the fucking most revolutionary companies in the world because they're like McDonald's and they can make the Budweiser I drink here in New York taste the same as the Budweiser I drink in fucking Japan. Like, that's why I think they're great. They do something and they do it so... Uh, perfect they have it down to a science but what i'm saying is if you actually want something local that was produced like where you are and you want to support local it's like cooler to like support smaller pocket brands no one is no one (laughs) no beer consumer is like going to order a budweiser and saying like well this is local that's because it was brewed in asbury park new jersey and i can see the factory from there it's like it, it 
honestly, it's sad because my point is that there are still breweries that existed once in your local neighborhoods that are now so big that they have production facilities in places like Texas or, you know, Central America where it's cheaper to have beer production and they're shipping it back to this market and people here where we live are still under the assumption that that actual liquid is coming from the brewery that exists brick and mortar spot down the street from you and it's not so let's use the grand point so you think people who are consuming six point they go to a Dwayne reed here in new york city and they buy six right. point they you're saying the consumer assumes that that beer was made in brooklyn yeah. And what I'm saying yes. is, and here's the thing. It's a local brewery. And I think this is the subtlety of my point that I, that I think is different. I am saying that that consumer purchased that under the guise of knowing that Six Point was brewed in Brooklyn. If you told them, oh, by the way, that beer is brewed in Texas, they'd be like, who fucking cares? Yeah, I don't think you're right. Yeah? I Sorry, I'm, I disagree with what you just said and i'm curious I think, I we think should a ask large, people i think we a should... large part of why people buy quote-unquote local brands is because they're entering into the agreement where they think that that brand that they're picking up was produced physically closer to where they live and that's important for beer we've talked about this several times on the show it's the the fresher you can get the product from the actual home-born location the facility is the best product you're gonna get so to to like I think this is this is your point is to deceive someone and, and make them think that they're getting something down the street and it actually went to Texas and then came all the way back and now is in your hands is not the same thing and but that's that was my entire point about Greenport Harbor is they are producing every single ounce of this liquid locally so the stuff that we're all drinking today all of these four beers were produced two and a half hours away from us which is important because I, I, four I, I beer agree. for anything for any food. You want to consume it as close to the production yeah. date as possible. The no one wants day-old Chinese food. If you can get Correct. Chinese food super hot, you fucking eat it super hot. Like, again, I, we're agreeing here. Like, <laughs> I think the point that I'm trying to make is that there are breweries out there, and it's not just cores and not just whatever. There are people who are trying to appear a certain way and – to the consumers like you and I, we do the little bit of research and we realize that not 100% of what they're saying is accurate and that matters to us. And what bothers me is that they're going under this guise and doing this thing and most people... That, so th um, what I'm saying is that shouldn't bother you. Marketing has existed for eons. Like, <laughs> and just like... It will never go away. Like uh, Nazi mentality. Like like people that like make people think a certain well, way. They're Nazis. I'm just that. saying that 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 m getting people to think something that's not really a thing or to exacerbate something to prove your product is better will always exist. That is why every marketing agency in the world has a job and why they exist. What our job is to do is to actually pull consumers aside when we see a consumer and say, hey, maybe instead of product X that's actually produced here, this is one that I would recommend because if you're looking in the local section and something that is local is truly important to you, this is truly local and this is the product that you should be taking I home. I 100,000% agree with you. And now here's the actuality. People walk into a fucking restaurant in New York City and see a six point on draft and they go, oh, like I'm going to get that six point. It's local. And what we're talking about here is, is like not it might not be. 
And at any point, is that restaurant going to go to the person and say, hey, this is actually brewed in Texas and not brewed from here? If the consumer asks, you they'll think? have to, yeah. Yeah? I don't think that the person in that restaurant would know the difference. Right. So it- <laughs> they, they would lie and say it's from New York. Yeah. I've seen so many people lie and say things are from places they're not. And, and uh, I, you and I. So anyway, have, bottom yeah. bottom line: Greenport Harbor, located in Greenport Harbor, Long Island, New York, fresh is fresh. Produces their beer almost to order to send out into the market. So every ounce of liquid you're consuming locally in the local tri-state New York area is a product from them that they've actually produced. Um, the beer that we're trying, uh, before beers that we're trying that I think is one of the most interesting is actually talk about local is the citrus blue uh, persuasion. It's a blueberry limeade inspired Berliner Weiss. It's a Greenport Harbor and KCBC collab. KCBC for those of you don't know is a local brewery here in Brooklyn and yeah, they're just, you know, it's very interesting. You poured it out before. It's this beautiful like purple E color pinkish. I don't know. Everybody sees colors differently, but um, it's great. It's my favorite of the beers. I mean, I've I've had the opportunity of tasting all four beers before the podcast, so this is my favorite one of the ones you brought back. I'm gonna crack one. Yeah. So right anyway, now. if you're in the New York area, uh, next weekend or this upcoming weekend, June second and third, Greenport Harbor sponsoring a North Fork Dock Diving Doggy Competition. Um. And it's basically just like camping and hanging out at the brewery and drinking a bunch of beers and eating a bunch of good food and hanging out with dogs. And it should be super fun. And they are an actual local brewery that everyone should support. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm I'm not a dog owner and I'm a avid beer drinker. So I'm assuming I can go there and drink awesome beer and play with other people's dogs. Correct. Um, I'm really excited to see their facility, especially that it's a, a converted firehouse. Um, there was no gravity aspect to their brewery at all, right? No, so that brewery is on Carpenter Street. Okay, that's the that's the old firehouse. That's their now just tasting room and pilot facility, yeah. and the facility that's sponsoring the dock dive or dock doggy dive, where we're going to be camping is the uh, brewery in I don't know. It's like two miles away. It's in fucking Patchot Patchinock. I don't know. I don't know how to say these words. <laughs> um. Uh, that is where people camp and go and see the dogs. And that's where they have their 30 barrel production facility. And that's where they produce most of their core stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited because if I were ever, when you came back from your uh, England trip, I was really fascinated by places that even attempt to do gravity brewing and one type of physical space that I could picture being very uh, conducive for gravity brewing is a firehouse because they have very tall ceilings. Obviously, the fire trucks have to fit into the first floor. The second floor has to house a bunch of shit. It's just a really interesting space to me. Like if I were ever as a brewer going to be like, oh, I'm going to open a brewery and have to do it super cheap. Obviously, gravity brewing is one way to do that and to eliminate a lot of pumps and a lot of things that cost a lot of money. And a firehouse is the perfect physical space i would think to do that in so they they've just existed for a long time like the north fork has a lot of history it used to be a whaling town okay um so when you visit the older or the new quote-unquote tap room uh it's it's in an area that is literally like by the docks it's like where people used to like come in and fishermen used to like 
doctor boats and stuff so it's in a tight little spot but like things that always existed back then were firehouses and they were made of brick usually and yeah they were multi-level floors and they had tall enough ceilings where you could fit things into the building like fermenters and, and brewing equipment so yeah and they have these you know the, the big doors to let the trucks in I, I would i would if someone told me hey kid you're gonna go start a new brewery pick a space i would say a firehouse or a converted restaurant just because has all the piping and all the things that i would need so it's like the yeah a firehouse is like the man talk about a beautiful fucking opportunity i would take over a firehouse in a second and turn it into a brewery but uh But yeah, what are you drinking? You're drinking this far out there, the New England style IPA. How's that? This was uh, last weekend. I was up there with a couple of friends. This was everyone's favorite. It was the New England style IPA. It's the style of yeah. It was everyone's favorite. So it smells really great. Like it smells like a New England style IPA. Um, it's pretty dry. It's very much um, reminiscent of. Uh, heady topper to me like they nailed the style for sure um i don't like the way personally i don't like the way it finishes um but it's pretty it's pretty bitter yeah yeah um and there's this little bit of like multi like little like caramelliness that slips in there but like it's just the whole finish of this beer is just super bitter um but it smells great i would smell this beer forever Greenport Harbor actually it's, has a uh, hot back. It smells like straight hot pellets. Like normally yeah. when I smell beer, I'm like, oh, this smells like pineapple or this smells like, you know, um, citrus or some sort of, you know, lime or lemon. I don't know. But this smells straight like hot pellets. <laughs> do you like the beer? Yeah. Do, do we like the Greenport beers? I know yes. I'm being very like. The not only, unbiased. I, I, I want to. I want to roll back and say the only reason I don't like the summer ale is just the way it finishes. Just gives me that like air of like copper pennies. Can we look I up what style that beer that that beer is? The summer ale. Uh huh. Yes. It's probably something German. It's light, but it finishes like cracker and heavy and like bready. Yeah, so I'm going to go to Beer Advocate, and they say a refreshing, delicious, moderately hopped golden ale brewed with a touch of orange blossom honey for a light, slightly sweet, and floral finish. Uh, our summer ale is waiting to take its place somewhere between softball, rooftop parties, SPF, whatever, and sand in the bed. That's gross. Why would you want sand in your bed? Can't help it sometimes. It's fucking gross. So it's a blonde um, ale. Yeah, it, uh, but that's a, again a very vague topic. Yeah, it's it's it, this is t- this. I don't know if it, they intended it to be, but for me, this is a very like German influenced beer, and that's what it tastes like, and that's why I think I don't like it. So I don't want to say the beer is. I bad. like it a lot. I, said it out front I like it I a like, lot. This beer's gross. It's but. it's light enough, right? So it's golden in color, and it's light enough. I AKA sessionably session wise, but then the finish has a definite like body it's got claws it's got that like bready crackery it's got that substantial finish and for me that's something i really enjoy rather just than you know being watery or completely wiping off my palate there's like a lingering sort of like bready oaty malty it's 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 thicker and umptious and it, it it leaves a little bit on my palate and it does make me want more of it 
yeah it's the opposite for me that crackerness that like yeah that like bready whatever i don't like it cracker yeah I don't yeah like it. cracker is a good way to describe it it's really Thank you. Opening, opening up my brain hopefully one day right you'll be able to say that that t the end the finish on that or the flavor you get is definitely like saltine cracker huh like that like dry kind of chalky but like flour white flour dough bread type finish and that's very classic for a lot of german styles all right, well, I'm going to have to go snort a bunch of crackers after this episode. Figure that out. We're not doing any podcasts from Greenport Harbor, are we? Oh. <laughs> Do we want to? We'll be at we'll be in Greenport Harbor this weekend if anybody's out there and anybody wants to say hey to us. We'll be camping at uh Greenport Harbor Brewing Company we could, for the Doggy Doc Dive. We, yeah, we could very much attempt a uh we could try. See what happens. No promises. Let's give it a whirl. Maybe we'll, we'll, we will broadcast from the Doggy Doc time. We should at airport. least try a uh, trial run of doing a remote podcast because we very much would like we to do that. We fish on the way. Yeah, we would like to do that. We, we Our goal is ball. to come at Curveball live. Yeah. Or not live, I'm sorry. We're going to come at Curveball, but we're going to post from a show that was recorded from Curveball. So we cool. should try it. We should try it for sure. So catch us next episode where we will either recap what happened at Greenport Harbor or we'll have some live footage from what happens at Greenport Harbor. All what right. are we going out on here? <laughs> well, I figure all this that talk makes of me like nervous. Uh, mere time and local and being so important and whatever. What better fish song than Alaska? I because wonder what those it's far people, from yeah, where we are. People have to drink local up in Alaska. You know, you don't want beer from our market from there. I don't know. That's where my brain went. So this is from my first show. So it's June seventeenth, two thousand ten, Hartford, Connecticut, the Xfinity Theater, and this is Alaska. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I am the kid. I am the Lizzo. And this has been Gotta Jabru. We will see you next time. Bye.